So you ready for a fancy title again? There it is, Judges 4. And, and I really wanted to go a lot of different ways with this. I was talking with Scott. I had to fight the ADD really hard on putting these slides together. And to be fair, I didn't always win. Okay, so as we're going through it this morning, you're just going to have to to bear with the the ramblings of, uh, I can't say ramblings of a redneck, that's Doug. Uh, <clears throat> let's say ramblings of a renegade junior high teacher. How about that? That, that may be what I have to change my blog to. But uh, Judges chapter 4. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, or Yabin, if you want the pronunciation. Yabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, which has an interesting pronunciation. We'll talk about it in a minute. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Yabin in Hebrew is he who God observes. Canaan. I always wondered what Canaan means. It means the lowland, which my ADD brain, okay, I'll let you in on the inside. We're watching Sergeant York in my world history class. It's a great World War I film. And part of the big plot line is that he wants to get some of the bottom land in the farmland of Tennessee because that's the good ground to grow crops in. People on, people on the bottom are always looking down on people on the top because their crops are better. So Canaan, being the lowland, God was taking them to a place where they could grow good crops. Hazor is actually pronounced very similar to the word castle. It is kasol, which how you get that and put Hazor in there is a translation I do not know. But it means castle. So Yavin lives in a castle. His, the commander of his army, Sisera, this is where we get back to these Marvel superheroes, has a name, Battle Array. Yeah, we're going to go fight Battle Array. And Hiroshith Hagoyim means woodland or the place in the woods, which really has a deep spiritual context. No, not really. No spiritual context to that other than it describes where these people live. Now, iron is where it gets a little more interesting. It talked about him having iron chariots. The, the Hebrew word is barzel, and it has a double meaning. It, it means iron, obviously the material you can build out of, but it also means harshness, strength, and oppression. And, and if you paid attention to the scripture before that, I'll bump back up there real quick. It says he oppressed, he had 900 chariots of iron. He had 900 chariots of harshness and oppression, and he oppressed the people with cruelty for 20 years. In Hebrew, it's not an accident when they repeat words in phrasing. It means that he was doubly oppressive, which we won't get into talks of government and oppression, but you know, there's times that we'll go through in life where we feel doubly oppressed by the situation of our life. And 
looking into these stories of the Old Testament give me hope that that oppression is not going to last forever. It's simply a season. How long did these guys get to oppress the children of Israel? 20 years. Now, I hope you don't wait 20 years under the oppression of an illness or something else before you cry out to the Lord. Because that's when something changes. Okay, now Deborah. That, that sounds like a mighty hero name, Deborah. Which we'll talk about what her name means in a minute. It makes it even funnier, okay? Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth. Okay, ladies, always think about the guy you're going to marry. And think about that last name. Okay, I'm just talking to young, younger people. I'm talking to my daughters. We don't marry losers, and we really don't marry losers with weird last names. Okay? was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah. And I thought when I read this, this is about as arrogant as it gets. You know, the place where she sits in judgment, she named it after herself, the palm of Deborah. But anyways, we'll keep moving. Between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel commanded you, go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and from the people of Zebulun. All right, we've got we to talk about this. This is the only judge listed in Judges that was a woman. And, and there's some cultural connotations to this that we're not going to spend a ton of time in because I don't want some rogue feminist on Facebook coming after me about this. But in the ancient world, it was a mockery. Your country was mocked to shame if you were led by a woman. It was shameful. And people are going to say, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, what about Cleopatra? That's almost 900 years later. Society's going to change a little bit, okay? Society changes a lot in 900 years. This is 900 years before Cleopatra, and even then her leading in Egypt was sketchy, okay? And there were a couple pharaohs before her that were female, and, and it was sketchy circumstances. We don't have time to go into all that history of how one of them murdered their husband, but uh, we'll go. And... It was a mockery in the eyes of the world. I want you to understand that the church, a lot of people get bent out of shape about female pastors because they try and base it loosely on one phrase in a letter that Paul wrote. And it's absolutely shameful to base an entire doctrine on one single solitary sentence in the Bible. I'm just telling you that now. If that offends you, well, I am happy to stamp on your tradition because Jesus was all about stamping on the traditions of men. If it is not structurally sound in the Word of God, it is not scriptural. So where people say, well, women should never lead in the church, that is not scriptural. Women should never say a word in church. That is one line in the Bible, and it was to a specific church full of busy-bodied women who were trying to act like the temple prostitutes of a false religion. Anybody signing up? That's me, pastor. None of the ladies in here are going to admit to that. We're okay. None of the men are going to say the la that about a lady in this church. If they like their teeth in their mouth. 
Okay? I want you to understand, God doesn't care about the opinion of the world. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about the opinion of the nations around Israel. I'm really shocked at times that God didn't put a queen on the throne just to spite the neighbors. Okay, When we get to the kings, we don't have a queen ruling on the throne. We just don't. Because God was not going to thumb his nose at the neighbors that way. He was going to let David kill tens of thousands of people by himself. Which is awesome. I can't wait to get to kings. But he will use what the world will make fun of to bring himself glory. What? Yeah, that's actually New Testament too. Paul talks about it. He says that God chooses the base things of this world or the overlooked, the underappreciated, the nobodies to make fools of the somebodies. And God will use who He wants to use and He'll use them in power and for His glory. And what's really interesting is this is feels like it's Deborah's story, but Deborah doesn't even do the glorious act of heroism. That's another lady later and. It's even funnier when we find out about her. But Deborah means bee, like a honeybee. That's not a description uh, of, I mean, the birds and the bees. I don't know. I, I got lost on this one. I thought, man, Deborah might have had a stinger. She probably, anyways, Lapidoth, her husband means torches. She married a guy whose last whose name meant torches. And, and she sat at the palm of Deborah, which was between Ramah and Bethel. So she was literally under a palm tree between a hill and the house of God. Now you kind of got that picture in your mind. She's just out there in between two very distinct places. And she summons Barak, the son of Anibalom, from Kadesh Naphtali. And she said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Okay, this is what I love about Deborah is the first thing that identified her was as a prophetess, meaning she spoke the word of God. And she spoke this to Barak, who was supposed to be a mighty man of valor because God was calling him as a warrior to go lead other warriors to overthrow this oppression. Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and from the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Yavin's army, and meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give them into your hand. Deborah is not telling Barak something he doesn't already know. This is something I overlooked the first several times I read this account. Deborah is retelling to Barak what the Lord had already spoken to him. Yee! Barak's name means lightning. His father, Abinoam, my father is delight. Kadesh Naphtali means a holy place. Tabor, Mount Tabor means a mound. Funny stuff there. Naphtali means wrestling. Zebulun is exalted. And Kishon, the river, means winding. Uh, I love how <clears throat> sometimes the Hebrew just simply describes stuff. 
And this is Barak's response to her in Judges chapter 4, verse 8. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. Doesn't that sound like a brave, mighty man? Lady, I'm only going to go if you're going to go with me. I'm only going to go if I get to take the bee, the, the wife of the torches. What a brave fellow. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Whew. I, I, I laugh about that, but at the same time, how many of us, when God asks us to step out and do something, we ask Him to send somebody with us? Or we, we just naturally want to take somebody with us? You know, I feel like I'm supposed to go tell so-and-so about it, but I really want Pastor JJ to go too because he really can just recall some of the Word of God. It doesn't sound that silly when you phrase it that way. Nevertheless, she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. When I first read this, I thought, man, Deborah is an assassin. She is going to go kill Sisera. And I was wrong. Okay. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. I want you to understand something that God pointed out to me in the Scripture, that God makes room for our doubt and our timid thoughts too. Sometimes we, we, we kind of get intimidated into doing nothing for the kingdom, because we doubt that we're worthy to do it. We doubt that we're good enough, that we're educated enough, that we're fill-in-the-blank enough. And, and sometimes we, we might think, yeah, I'm going to, and then right at the last moment we get timid and back out. Sometimes, just sometimes, right? Sometimes we need, or we need to be. You can be on both sides of this coin. We need to be a voice that encourages leaders to lead. And I left it at that because leadership is something more people understand than sometimes we need to be a voice that encourages ministers to minister, that encourages evangelists to evangelize. And in case you didn't know, you're called both of those things in Scripture because you're part of a royal priesthood. Sometimes we need to be the encouraging voice that reminds other priests to do the duties of a priest. If you don't remember, that one's on a podcast. You can go back and catch it. But right in the middle of the story, it just I thought I had ADD. Whoever wrote Judges had it too. Right in the middle of the story, they're going to introduce Herber. My kids are all kind of looking at me. They thought I said Herbert. It's not Brother Herbert, okay? My dad has this shtick that he does to annoy my mom where he acts like Brother Herbert. I'm not going to reenact that, but uh, it was always funny because it was one of the ways dad tormented and teased mom a little bit and embarrassed her and my sister, to a lesser extent me, in public. But Herbert the Kenite 
had separated from the Kenites and the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zaanim, which is near Kadesh. Now this is where it, my ADD really started going wild this morning because Herber, Herber's a communist. Not really, but Herber's name means comrade. And it's even better because he's from the tribe of Smiths. Comrade Smith. And Hobab's name was cherished. Zayanum is removings. And Kadesh is, again, a holy place. Which, man, that reads completely different if you go back and you put in Comrade Smith and he was the father of the cherished who was removing things from a holy place. Makes that whole scripture just weird and different. And why we had to know about Herber, you'll find out later. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron and all men who were with him, from Harasheth Agoyim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the, the picture that came into my mind was that these 10,000 guys are up on the high ground. And he, instantly a Star Wars reference popped in my head with, and Titus is give me the look. It, you know, it's over, Anakin. I have the high ground. And I can see down in the valley, Sisera saying, but you underestimate my power. And they go to fight. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. Now, popular Jewish teaching, if you were in Sunday school, you got to hear about all these different sources that Jewish uh, historians and scholars use. One of them that they use, it's a collection of verbal stories that have been handed down. It's called the Midrash. And in the Midrash, it says that the Lord caused a great rain to fall. What's rain going to do? Is it going to sit on the mountain or is it going to rush down towards the river? Gravity, we know, is a law that's un undeniable. Water is going to rush towards the river. Well, how well do you think chariots work in rushing water and mud? Not very good at all. And, and the Midrash even teaches that about a third of the chariots were swept away into the river Kishon as it swelled. Uh, again, we don't have that in Scripture, so I'm not going to stand on it. But, you know, God could do that if he wanted. Or God could just make these guys run fast enough downhill that they just go jumping into chariots and killing dudes. I mean, I got all kinds of pictures in my head of how this fight went down. And... And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. Battle array himself, just like the villain of every movie, when the battle is going against them, they run. And he gets down and he runs. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harosheth Hoyagoim, which is where they're from, the wooded land. And all the army of Sisera fell at the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. So you just wiped out 900 chariots and an army. 
But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Herber, the Kenite. Jael, the wife of Comrade of the Smiths. And for there was peace between Yabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Herber, the Kenite. So maybe Yabin was a communist too. Anyway, enough of the Red Scare. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, and do not be afraid. And she, So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. You know, that's just the way you hide things. Just put it under the rug. Anybody in a hurry ever sweep dirt under the rug? Yeah, I got, my kids are definitely raising their hand. They're like, yeah, just throw it under the rug. <clears throat> and others too. So, and he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand by the opening of the tent. And if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Herber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. And then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground. While he was lying fast asleep from weariness, so he died. Wow. Now, you want some of the Paul Harvey rest of the story? Most wives at this time, you know, it's not mentioning children. There's not children yet. This may be a young new bride. So she's probably 15, 16 years old. Driving a tent peg through the head of commander of the greatest army in the area. What a woman. Anyways, see if this can work. Anybody know what that was? That was the sound that came from in the tent. Okay, that, that's the sound that happened in the tent. We have a live recording of that because JL's name means mountain goat. So nothing at all spiritual about that, right? <clears throat> And that ends Judges 4. And, and I thought, man, there, there is no way to tie that in spiritually. You know, because, well, there is. We, we need to, to understand when we see sin in our own life, not to just sweep it under the rug, but to drive a tent stake through its head and kill it. And and Judges chapter 5 is a, entirely dedicated to a, a song singing praise about the victory God had won. And, and a little bit of that praise, actually, if you read through the, the chapter, it, it's kind of trash talk against Sisera. And, and it's really trash talk because it brings Sisera's mama into it, which... You really want to talk trash on somebody, you talk about their mom too. <clears throat> Unless you watch the Mr. T video, right? Uh, I showed my kids, uh, you know, Be Good to Your Mama by Mr. T. If you haven't seen it, look it up. It's a gem. 
But the, the song of Deborah is something I think the modern church has, has forgotten about a little bit. That God desires for us to sing about the victories that he's brought in our life. When we come to church on Sunday morning and we, we sing in corporate worship, we, we sing hymns, we sing choruses, the, those are supposed to be not only praise to God, but also relaying the story. Storytelling through song to other people about the goodness of God and what God has done in our life. And, and for some of us, it's a battle cry of a future victory. Because we, we may be going through something at the moment where you're not singing that song from a, a posture of victory, but you can be singing it from hope that victory is ahead. Or you're singing as the person who has been granted freedom. You know, I, I don't think uh, a day should go by where Christians are not singing some kind of praise to God. And, and I, don't, I don't think you have to be super spiritual about it. You know, praise God, I don't have any homework. You know, nothing wrong with that. Praise God, I struck out nine guys last night. You know, you're going to hear that song in your, in your house now, Julie. You know. <clears throat> praise God from whom all home runs come. You know. You can, you can rewrite the words to hymns. Most of the people that wrote them are dead. They don't care. You can go and open the book of Psalms and begin to just sing some of the Scripture that's there if you don't know what to say. But just like Deborah sang a song to account and and to spread the news to everyone else, we as Christians sometimes need to sing to share the news with ourselves, to remind us on those bad days that this is not the end, to remind ourselves on the good days that we're gonna we're gonna fight some battles, but the battle belongs to the Lord, and if nothing else, you know, finding a way every day to exalt the King. King Jesus. Because that, that's His title. He's the King of Kings. And that's not His future title. That is His current title as He's sitting on the throne of heaven, advocating to the Father on our behalf. And I'll tell you, I'm glad that He's up there. Because when I mess up, I remember that, that he's the guy that's, that's sitting there reminding God exactly, exactly, not of my mistakes, but of who I am and, and who I am in him. So this week, as you, as you go through your week, Find a way to sing the songs. It may not be a song of victory, and that's okay. 
How many of you like working out to music? I do. I like working to music. I have it on good authority that my father-in-law used to milk cows to music. Michael Jackson's Thriller was a hit in the milk barn. And I just die laughing. Thinking about a, a teenage version of my father-in-law, you know, sitting on a milk stool. This is thriller. I mean, and now he's going to see that video and <laughs> I'm out the family. Yeah. But, but <clears throat> allowing the, the gift of music to, to take a rightful place in our life, worshiping God. And the, the best gift of the whole morning was while we were singing hymns, Jovi was sitting behind me just belting them out. And it's a beautiful gift, which some of that may be because dad told all of his kids when we were watching the auditions for American Idol that more winners of American Idol got their start singing in church than anywhere else. And maybe that's what her aspiration is now, I don't know. But I said, it's, it's the one place where you can sing as loud as you want and nobody cares what it sounds like. It's a beautiful thing that God can deafen our ears to tone deaf people. And, and in God's ears, it's beautiful. So, when you're up to your neck in it this week, just keep singing. When things are going good, just keep singing. On your worst day, just keep singing. Because I promise you, the God who brings victory wants to hear a song about it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.